when people listen to these stories i know your response folks and it 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 comes down basically either they are genuinely true or mike bickle is a pathological liar what are some of your reflections what are some of your takeaways well first it is fun for me to be with sam storms he is one of my dearest friends in the last 30 plus years in may of the year 2022 remnant radio did a number of recordings with sam storms and mike bickle at the international house of prayer in kansas city those various recordings were turned into 15 episodes of remnant radio that were posted on youtube between june and october of the year 2022 all of these videos have been removed they did release a statement saying in part here when these allegations were brought to our attention we were shocked we could never have imagined that inappropriate conduct with women as something we would ever need to be concerned about and the truth is that mike had six years of very questionable interaction with his wife prior to mike's son having an affair with his wife so that man in double fashion was destroyed by Mike's influence on his wife and his son's affair with his wife. That's a problem. Oh my goodness. Mike had some manner of relationship with his wife far before his son had an affair with her. And also, you better be careful because the Spirit of God dwells inside of him. None of us have anything to gain. None of us have anything to gain from seeing a significant hero in all of our lives face this kind of public scrutiny over sins that he has committed over decades. Tonight, KNBC 9 News investigates deeper questions about a Kansas City ministry and its founder who is now on leave. Three former leaders of Kansas City's International House of Prayer came forward last month. They allege sexual misconduct by founder Mike Bickle involving several women. One of those former leaders is speaking with KNBC 9 News investigative reporter Matt Fleener tonight. Matt. Kelly, Chris, these leaders published a letter detailing what they call clergy sexual abuse by Mike Bickle against women. One of the leaders said he could not stay silent. The reason why I'm doing this is uh, an incredible woman actually came forward to my wife and I the beginning of August and told us a story. And I can't unhear that story. But as Dwayne said early on, once you hear these stories, you can't unhear them. Dwayne Roberts is one of the founding leaders at the International House of Prayer in South Kansas City. He's also a former member of its executive leadership team. This has to be talked about and uncovered so that the right, the wrongs can be made right. It's, it's not right. Roberts is one of three former ministry leaders who released this public letter last month detailing allegations of clergy sexual abuse by Mike Bickle against several victims. It's wrong what has happened, and it's wrong how it's being handled. Because I'm not a threat to IHOP. I'm not even a threat to Mike Bickle to bring the truth to him about indiscretion. Because all of us here would want Galatians 6. We would want to restore a brother in a, in a spirit of gentleness. But you can't do that without genuine repentance. Therefore, 1 Timothy 5, (laughs) which is now you have to say it to the whole church so that the fear would come upon all. This is about standing with friends that have legitimate, credible allegations and then beginning to see your spiritual father maneuver, manipulate, and threaten and intimidate. And it's about, whoa, no, this is about exposing wickedness 
that is within the church, period. What we have seen from Mike in these last couple of months now is somebody that has had a double life, somebody that has kept hidden, again, not moral failure, that's part of it, way more. The ability to manipulate, threaten, coerce, and intimidate speaks of something that is within a person that is not fit for any kind of shepherding or pastoring. I want to see that exposed because when that is not exposed, it just creates rot within the church. We have an update tonight into that ongoing investigation into a South Kansas City prayer ministry. The International House of Prayer separated from its founder, Mike Bickle, last month during a sexual misconduct investigation. This week, another key leader resigned. This is manipulation, coercion, threats, intimidation that is a shepherd with a huge platform is willing to go to to lie and coerce. That is what we're speaking to. He said to my face, you touched me illegally. And people that touch me illegally, bad things happen to them, things like death. Other people who touch me illegally have died. Robert said he wanted to stand firm on the allegations he brought forward. I don't want to go on KMBC and talk like this. It's not, I don't find pleasure in this. You know, and I'm making enemies by coming here today. I'm, people are not excited. They won't be happy by, by me talking here today. But I also believe that, that truth needs to be told. These past few weeks at the International House of Prayer here in South Kansas City, there's been a lot of movement among the main leadership of the ministry. The most prominent departure, Mike Bickle. Since taking over management of the crisis, the executive committee has received new information to now confirm a level of inappropriate behavior on the part of Mike Bickle that requires IHOPKC to immediately, formally, and permanently separate from him. Leader of IHOP University, David Slyker, resigned after last month, the executive director of IHOPKC, Stuart Greaves, resigned. The spokesman did not agree to an on-camera interview about the departures, but his release statement saying IHOPKC is committed to an independent investigation. Roberts, meanwhile, says survivors still don't feel comfortable coming forward to IHOPKC's hired attorney, saying IHOPKC needs to continue to make changes. Here's the professional crisis manager, Eric Voltz, doing his job trying to save the organization of IHOP. The 24-7 prayer movement that God started will continue. Notice how he just slips that in there. The truth is, IHOP wasn't started by God. It was started by Mike Bickle. God started the Christian church, which is all about the teachings of Jesus, as explained and written down in Holy Scripture by the 12 apostles. You know, the real apostles. IHOP KC will stand in the gap for Israel. The worst attack on Israel in 50 years. The deaths of 21 soldiers yesterday, the deadliest single incident for Israel since the war began and ultimately continue to proclaim the beauty of Jesus until his glorious return. Now back to Sam Storms and Mike Bickle on Remnant Radio. And a brilliant theologian, but way better than that. He loves Jesus with intensity. I've watched him close for 30 years. So to be with him with this theological depth. Here's a graphic illustration of the kind of theological depth that built the International House of Prayer. The foundation of the International House of Prayer was deeply flawed right from the very beginning. It was built on false visions from false teachers like Bob Jones, Paul Kane, 
And now, of course, we know about Mike Bickle. We shouldn't be surprised to see how it's collapsing in on itself. But Mike Bickle was given undeserved credibility that permitted and prolonged his deception. And today was the first time I ever met Mike Bickle. Um, and I love that guy. I do. I, I mean, you know, and Mike knows we've talked about this, you know. Uh, there's people that told me not to hang out with him. Like, you know, you know, words like creepy come up. And, and, and yet, I get to know this guy, and I'm going, man, I love his heart. And I just want to publicly say, I love Mike Bickle, you know? Creepy. With his kindness and relationship to people, he's very, that's really the test of faith, the way you treat people in relationships, but his passion for Jesus. So I had to say that first, Sam, and I, it's a joy to, to you, buddy. It's, it's a joy to be here. <laughs> wait, 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 you're the president of the evangelical Theological, I, I know, but One time. you got a reputation. You got years. Not of, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Not after the series. No, no way. I don't know, but it seems to me like these are true prophetic words. Hardlifting, PhD, doctorate in theology, languages, all these things, and you're going on the line telling these stories that are so hard to believe. Like I tell people all the time. If you told me the story I just told you, I wouldn't believe you. Even though I like you, it just wouldn't. In these sessions, I'm going to be more telling stories in the spirit of prophetic declarations. Here are the three things that I want to do with this video. Number one, I want to show that IHOP was built on a foundation of prophetic stories that are largely fictitious. Mike Bickle told conflicting and contradictory stories. Number two, Mike Bickle told outright lies, and leaders like Sam Storms vigorously defended him for 30 and sometimes even 40 years. But Bickle is no different than other Pentecostal leaders going back over 100 years. Finally, number three, I want to show that God really had nothing to do with the establishment of IHOP. I believe that IHOP needs to completely dissolve. And if you've been a part of this movement or anything like this movement, I really want to encourage you with this video to rethink some things and start looking for a completely different sort of a church. This is the cover for the video that I did about a year ago, and I want to show you just a little bit of that video to give you an idea of the kind of conflicting evidence that we get from Mike Bickle and Sam Storms. These are the three errors that I pointed out in this video that related to the prophetic words that Bob Jones gave to Mike Bickle regarding the weather. Because of these predictions that Bob Jones made supposedly coming true, that was supposed to give Mike Bickle and hence everybody else the confidence to believe that everything else Bob Jones said was also true. And when these claims have been tested, well, they haven't shown themselves to be anything like the stories that are being told. Number one, March 7th, 1983 was not warm. Number two, March 21st, 1983 was not a double winter. Number three, August 23rd, 1983 was not an evening downpour of heavy rain. So in comes, it's March 7th, 1983. So it's about four months after we'd been in Kansas City. In came this most unusual man walking into my office. And so it's nice and warm outside. Had been a couple weeks. This man walks in my office with a winter coat on. He comes walking in in a winter coat. Walking in as a total stranger. He's about 55 or 60 in overalls, wearing a winter coat. It was about 70 degrees out. The official weather report for that day, March 7th, 1983, high of 51, low of 34. It was about 70 degrees out. <laughs> When he originally prophesied When he originally it. prophesied all this, and it, it was, was hot outside. On March the 7th of 83, I went over to meet with him, Mike Bickle and some of them. The Lord had told me to wear a coat, a heavy one. It would be a sign 
uh, that that there'd be a double winner. Here's a screenshot of the Kansas City Times from the day of March 8th, which tells you exactly what the weather was the day before. It's not predicting the weather, it's recording the weather. And you can see that they said the high was 48, the low was 45. And it was was hot outside. Wearing a winter coat, it was about 70 degrees out. (laughs) Mike Bickle is a really enthusiastic storyteller. He doesn't seem to care too much about getting the facts straight, as long as the story is convincing and he comes across as sincere and godly. They even make a big deal out of this very day as being the day when things really started to happen, leading to the formation of the International House of Prayer. And he walked into Mike's office and basically began to tell him what God was going to do in Kansas City, that was going to birth this movement. Mike Bickle made it very clear, and Sam Storms is repeating with that same clarity, the fact that God used Bob Jones to start the International House of Prayer. It was the prophetic utterances of Bob Jones that caused Mike Bickle to take notice of what God was telling him he was going to do through him and through the movement that was being birthed. This picture, to me, is a really good summary of the foundation of how IHOP started. Not good. It would be a sign uh, that that there'd be a double winner. There are multiple things wrong with number two. This prediction is actually different depending on which version you listen to. Sometimes the prediction is that the snow will come, and that will be the fulfillment of a prophetic word, but other times it's that the snow will come and it will melt on the same day, or it's just that the snow will melt on that day. And on top of that, they call it the first day of spring when it's actually the day after the first day of spring. But wait, there's more on top of those errors. The day itself didn't have any snow. It didn't have any snow coming and it didn't have any snow melting. There was no snow activity whatsoever on the day when all the snow activity was supposed to be taking place. He said, at the first day of spring, when the snow melts, they'll sit around the table and they will accept me. So Art says, listen, he said, "Um, I was supposed to fly out tonight. He had a private plane. And he said, but it snowed. It was a late snow in in late March. He said, I'm grounded. I can't get out. Can we go see that gray-haired guy, that Bob guy? This is the official government daily weather records for the entire month of March for Kansas City from 1983. There you can see the 51 degrees being the high on the 7th, the day that everybody says was hot. And then we look at the first day of spring, quote-unquote, the 21st. We see the high was only 34, the low was 20, there was no snow at all. And the day before, the day when the snowstorm came that grounded the airplane, there was only three-tenths of an inch of snow. So we have to believe, here's another chart, that that tiny, tiny, tiny amount of snow. You can see it there at the bottom, the precipitation chart, which happened on Sunday at just after midnight between 1 a.m. and approximately 3.30 or so in the morning. There was not even an inch of snow, not even a half an inch of snow. This is the so-called snowstorm that grounded the airplane so that the miraculous meeting between Art Katz and Mike Bickle and Bob Jones could take place about 12 hours later. And then Bob says to him, and I want to quote the words, quote, the Lord says that on the first day of spring, when the snow melts, they will sit around the table and they will accept you. So now we're supposed to believe that somewhere between one o'clock in the morning to maybe about three o'clock in the morning, Bob Jones says, look out the window, see how the snow is melting? Here's the actual temperatures from that time of day. It was below 25 degrees, so it's impossible for snow to melt. Unless Sam Storms was out there with a blowtorch pulling tricks on everybody, this story cannot possibly be true. Here's Mike Bickle talking about the torrential downpour of rain on August 23rd of 1983. 
We're waiting for August 23rd. June goes by. July goes by. August. Long summer of 83. Horrible long summer. August 23rd, we called a meeting, had a meeting at 7 o'clock that night. And about five minutes till 7, I mean at noon, it looks hot, sunny, not a chance. And at about 7 o'clock that night, because it's the time of the meeting, a torrential downpour of rain came. And I mean, we are so excited because 23 months earlier, a prophetic man said, as surely as God has precise times and seasons for this nation, he will show you when the rains will come in the natural in this city. And so surely he knows when the rains will come in this nation at an appointed time, and he will not be a day late. And I tell you, when August 23rd came, we were so excited. We were jumping and shouting, and it only rained about 20, 30 minutes. I don't even know, but it was, I don't know how long it rained, maybe 15, 20, 25 minutes, but it rained so intense. Let's take a look at how Mike Bickle told the same story when he wrote it down for his 1995 book, Growing in the Prophetic. Our church was scheduled to gather for a meeting the evening of August 23rd. Just before the church meeting began, there came a tremendous downpour of rain for almost an hour. And it only rained about 20, 30 minutes. I don't even know, but it was, I don't know how long it rained, maybe 15, 20, 25 minutes, but it rained so intense. There came a tremendous downpour of rain for almost an hour. August 23rd comes. I mean, we're thinking. We gather on that night, 7 o'clock, and I mean, the rain came fiercely. Our meeting was at 7 o'clock, and it rained, I don't know how long, but the five or ten minutes till seven and the five and ten minutes after seven, it was so like torrential rain, you could not get leave your car. Everybody stayed in their car till there was a reprieve and they ran in. In that version of the story, Mike Bickle says it could have rained for as little as only 10 or 15 minutes. But he said something completely different when he was giving the prophetic history in 1986, as was recorded by Ernie Gruen in his paper. Mike Bickle told a different version of the story on tapes that he made in 1986. In that version of the story, Bob Jones gave a prophetic word at the end of May, saying that there was going to be a three-month drought, and at the end of that drought, on August 23rd, the drought would end with a rainstorm. And he says originally in those tapes from 1986 that there was a tremendous downpour, and there was three to four inches of rain. That's what he originally told everybody. The, the rain was so intense you could not walk through it. And the Lord gave his excla ex ex exclamation point. The rain came on August 23rd. It was like a torrential downpour. We were so excited. And Bob was there. He said, I told you the rain would come on this day. And he goes, but that's not the message. The message is there is an appointed hour when the rain is coming to this nation, the spiritual rain. It's as sovereignly ordained as that August 23rd was. Now here, look at paragraph D at the bottom. This is important that I say this. Here you will see Mike Bickle giving a really poor excuse for why he said it was three to four inches. And you will see that he's really grasping at straws, trying to make it sound like he corrects for errors when what he's really doing is just covering his tracks. That in 1986, right afterwards, three years afterward, I was, we were right here in the building telling the story. And I talked to a bunch of guys afterwards because it was a torrential rain for the minutes before and after. And then at the end of the meeting, we're celebrating and screaming, hollering through the meeting. At the end of the meeting, it's pouring down rain again. And what I, we don't know is it's not raining the whole two to three hours during the meeting. We're assuming it is. So I get some guys. I'm going to tell the first prophetic history. And I go, I get some guys together. I go, now, how much did it rain? I mean, no, we wasn't like checking the weather. They didn't have Google back then. And 
You know, a couple of people said, I don't know, a couple inches for sure. And I said, does anybody know? Nobody does. So I tell the story. It rained three or four inches because that's kind of because it's at the beginning at the end. But we're screaming and hollering all in the meeting and we don't know it stopped raining. So we find out later that it didn't rain that much. And so I corrected that publicly. The reason why he had to admit to this huge mistake was because of Ernie Gruen's paper, not because they decided that they were going to try to be accurate with what was being told. On top of that, he's ignoring how Bob Jones's original prophecy said that the drought would begin in June and that that drought would end with this spectacular supernatural rainstorm on August 23rd. The more recent version of the story says, no, the drought didn't begin until July and it kept going after August 23rd. And so I just wanted to say that, that I did declare it one time, because just in the enthusiasm of it, because I talked to some folks, and I went to our leaders afterwards, like some year, a couple years later, I go, let's, let's actually do some heavy fact-checking, find out all the dates and everything. And since that time, I recorrected that. I just feel like it's important. If you say something wrong, you need to correct it. Here's a handy weather site called Weather Underground, March 20th, 1983. This is when there was a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of snow you see five one-hundredths of an inch at about one in the morning. That was supposed to ground that plane. That's ridiculous. <laughs> 24 hours later, they were snowed in, and then it started melting, even though it was well below freezing. Okay, so now we're going to August 23rd, 1983, and you can see there's a point one-eight tenths of an inch of rain at about seven or eight in the morning. There's no rain at all the rest of the day. You know, the day with the torrential downpour at 7 p.m. and then another torrential downpour a few hours later. It rained so hard that people couldn't even walk through the rain. I don't even know how that's possible. I've never heard of rain stopping people from being able to walk. The only time there was rain, you can see right there, two-tenths of an inch was at 8 a.m. in the morning, not at 7 p.m. at night or at 6 p.m., as Mike Bickle originally told in 1986. So in the most recent version of this story, in the magical world of Mike Bickle, they had a meeting at 7 p.m., and there was a torrential downpour at the very moment they entered the building. It went away almost immediately, and then as soon as they started to exit the building, two or three hours later, no one knows for sure, there was another torrential downpour that just happened to be going on at the time they were leaving, and he just mistakenly thought it had been raining the whole time. And yet the weather records indicate there was no rain at all. And Sam Storms made it his job to listen to all of these stories from Mike Bickle and to repeat them and to scold anybody who didn't believe them. And yet Bob kept coming with these undeniable, inescapable, empirically verifiable confirmations of his prophetic words. Empirical. Adjective. Based on observation or experience. Verifiable. Adjective. Capable of being proven as true or real. Much of what Mike Bickle said, and Sam Storms and others repeated, was not empirical, and it was not verifiable. In fact, it was the opposite. The real underlying message of Mike Bickle and many others associated with him basically boils down to this. Just trust me. I, I promise I wouldn't. <laughs> I have told people, I did this from your platform a couple of years ago, and I've done it publicly. When people listen to these stories, I know your response, folks, and it, it, it comes down basically either they are genuinely true or Mike Bickle is a pathological liar. And he's not a pathological liar. I know this man deeply, um, but th <laughs> that's neither here nor there.
Mike Bickle was propped up for decades by Sam Storms and many other leaders in the charismatic world. And now those same leaders have to admit they had no clue what was literally going on behind closed doors. Mike Bickle, it seems, was leading a double life. Mike Bickle seems to have built the International House of Prayer as a perverted way to ensnare and sexually pursue young women. But Mike Bickle was a very famous and powerful charismatic leader, so he got a free pass. Here's how charismatic leaders like Sam Storms hand out free passes. This is from a video I made in October of 2023. Instead of waiting until he has enough information to speak accurately, Dr. Storms will make confident assertions based on hearsay. I don't know Benny Hinn personally. I've heard that he has changed his ways with regard to the prosperity gospel. He's publicly repented of that. Benny Hinn never said, I'm not going to preach prosperity anymore. He never said that. What he did say was he wasn't going to ask people to give a specific dollar amount and then promise them a specific dollar amount in return. Here's part of the video from that talk where he supposedly repented of the prosperity gospel on September 2nd of the year 2019. I still believe in prosperity, but let's look at what the Bible says. The message of prosperity is in the Bible. We, we, we cannot deny that if we give, we receive. We cannot deny God will bless us. That's in the Bible. You can't erase it. No way. God wants to bless his people way more than you ever want to receive that blessing. Now, whether or not that's true, whether or not he's living out, I don't know. I cannot. Sam Storms heard that this story about Benny Hinn repenting might be true. In spite of that lack of knowledge, he makes a conclusive statement anyway. Now, whether or not that's true, whether or not he's living out, I don't know. I cannot. You guys might know more than I do. I've been ridiculed by several individuals when they heard me say, yes, Benny Hinn is a born-again man of God. Does he have a faulty theology and sometimes a manipulative minister style? Yes, but the man loves Jesus. I'm convinced of that. And he will use a type of thought-stopping device that claims all discernment bloggers are wrong. Why? Because they are. Maybe God is just telling all of us to dial it down a little bit. I mean, especially in this age of these so-called discernment bloggers. I mean, if you comb, if you part your hair on the wrong side, they're going to tell you you're going to hell. I mean, it's almost that bad. And they're vilifying godly people. Unfortunately, the so-called discernment bloggers are doing that very thing. They're, they're just crucifying the body of Christ, and it's, it's reprehensible. You know what's truly reprehensible? propping up and promoting a predator like Mike Bickle for decades while you attack his critics. This is the paper from 1990 that was put together by a Pentecostal pastor, Ernie Gruen, and this has a ton of information about all the bad practices, and it even has a number of testimonies from people who had terrible experiences with the false teacher, Mike Bickle. Sam Storms, Remnant Radio, Francis Chan, they all ignored this. Now, I've known about this paper for over 10 years, but that's because I'm a discernment blogger and my opinion doesn't count. It's reprehensible. It also just so happens that I had a young daughter who went to IHOP, which led me to seek out the kind of information that would give me the straight facts about the cult of the International House of Prayer. By the way, the official story from IHOP has been that Ernie Gruen took back everything in this paper and they made amends and it was all a bunch of lies. And that actually is the lie. It's not true. I will put a link in the description to the place where you can download this paper for yourself. I just want to read a couple of the testimonies. Out of the 37 testimonies, I'm going to read just a few. This is from letter 18. 
We were assured that the two little churches, when they came together, would be totally autonomous and would never become a part of Kansas City Fellowship. All Kansas City Fellowship was to be was an overseer to give counsel and help only when asked for. The services at church were getting more and more less interesting to me. There also was a striking lack of salvations, baptisms, etc. that would tend to make you wonder what was being preached about anyway. The main topics were revival, prayer, and unity, with an occasional don't speak against God's anointed. We found out that we weren't the only ones having troubles. As time went on, the other people and us began to discuss the problems we were having. At one point, a man mentioned to me that when Derek Prince had come for the talk at KCF on Mother's Day, the witchcraft sermon, the leadership at KCF had rejected what he had said. At that point, I had no idea what he was talking about, so I went home and looked up the notes I had taken. Well, let me tell you that that, that was the biggest shock I had ever had. Never had I heard anyone tell anyone else that they were having problems with witchcraft. The more I read the notes, the more I was convinced that what we had been feeling, seeing, and experiencing was nothing short of the manipulation, domination, and intimidation that Derek had alluded to. The reply to this was that Ernie Gruen was of the last move of God and wouldn't acknowledge that fact that he was no longer on the cutting edge of what God is doing now. Of course, using that terminology set me on edge because, as I see it, it is a very arrogant attitude. Which is another point I brought up, the arrogance of the whole group of leadership that if someone isn't doing what they think is the cutting edge, that they will be left behind when revival does. Part of the prophecy that was given for this whole affair also hinged upon the acquiring of the Arden Arco Shopping Center. It had been stated from the pulpit more than once that the sign that all this union was to truly take place would be when God released the building to us as prophesied. Concerning the question of what our relationship with Kansas City Fellowship would be, the answer was that there was no direct links between the two. And finally, here on January 7, we are told that on September 4th of 1986, Wes and Larry had gone into a covenant relationship with Mike Bickle and that this was a lifelong commitment. To me, this was nothing less than a total lie and cover-up of what had actually transpired. Here's testimony letter number 37. These are a few of the multitude of reasons we left Kansas City Fellowship. At that time, it was still called Olathe Christian Fellowship. History. We began attending Olathe Fellowship in November of 84. Uh, Wes Adams and Mark Wilson were good teachers, and although they were inexperienced pastors, we felt well-fed and well-cared for. The fellowship was growing, and we were pleased. By March of 87, our little fellowship, along with Christ Community Fellowship, had been effectively swallowed up by KCF in all but name. A man we did not know, Noel Alexander, was placed over us by KFC as our senior pastor, and we were told that the prophets had heard from God concerning these things. The prophets told us that our small fellowship must die to themselves, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone, and be raised up to newness of life. We had many misgivings and questions about all these happenings and changes that we were never given prior knowledge of, but always told after the fact. Lack of communication and constant upheaval caused many to question. Then we were repeatedly warned from the platform not to talk amongst ourselves, but to take our questions only to leadership or God. Many weeks in a row, we were told not to talk with our brothers and sisters about all these tremendous changes that seemed to take place constantly. We were called on the carpet by men who had been placed over us from Grandview several times because we didn't seem to be fully committed to the movement. Either Mike Bickle or Noel Alexander spoke at almost every service. And week after week, Noel had one message, holiness. However, holiness seemed to be defined by how many prayer meetings you attended, etc. Mike had one message, how glorious this movement was going to be, 
and how it was going to touch the ends of the earth, and rah, 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 it went on week after week. In the entire time we were there, we cannot recall a single person being saved. The scriptures say to test the fruit. The fruit there was fear, disease, and depression, and the principal tool was manipulation. Yeah, nothing has changed in all of these years. I will also put a link to this sermon from Pastor Ernie Gruen from January 20th of the year 1990, where he talked a lot about the issues around what was going on in Kansas City and all the difficulties he was having with Mike Bickle and the Kansas City Fellowship Church. This is way before IHOP ever started. Here are a few excerpts of that sermon. Do we keep smiling and say nothing? He said, to my face, you touched me illegally. And people that touch me illegally, bad things happen to them, things like death. Other people who touch me illegally have died. I could not imagine a worse meeting. I was so upset that I could not even discuss it with my wife for three days. I was upset spiritually and emotionally. When I told my wife what he had said, and how I felt like I'd been threatened with death. She said, you're kidding. He walked out of that room, walked down the hall, was all smiles and said, your husband's one of the neatest men of God I've ever met. She said, that's why I didn't ask you any questions. I assumed you were best friends. And uh, this is where they began to prophesy that churches should close and be part of their ministry. Uh, they did it three times I can document, but actually more than that. Sermons were preached on how you know when to close a church. And then they had a prophet along that said, you're to close your church down, all become part of KCF. In the process of doing all this research, I found this defunct blog by going on the Internet Archives. And these were guys who were doing a lot of the work trying to get to the bottom of the problems with the International House of Prayer. So this blog has been, I guess you would call it dormant, since I think around 2008. The main purpose of showing this particular page of this blog is that they were dealing with the very issue of, did Ernie Gruen actually apologize for his statements against Mike Bickle and IHOP? And they got him to respond back um, in the 2000s. And here I want you to see... Ernie's response, no, I did not send a letter apologizing. That is a total lie. See attachment. And then he says that he believes that Bob Jones has a familiar spirit, a demon of divination, and is into the occult. Hmm. Now, going back to these guys and to the larger charismatic movement, I have a question, and it involves your relationship with the Holy Spirit and the fact that charismatic belief is grounded in this idea that they have something going on with the Holy Spirit that non-charismatics don't have. They have access to the Holy Spirit in a pretty special way. They hear God on a regular basis. The Holy Spirit didn't bother to warn these guys about Mike Bickle, and of course, they couldn't warn anybody about Mike Bickle either. In fact, they were very busy promoting Mike Bickle. So, in the midst of this Mike Bickle IHOP disaster, they started their own church planting network. This is the Convergence Church Network, and they use the term biblically grounded and spirit-empowered. Empowered to do what? They weren't empowered to tell anybody about the dangerous Mike Bickle 800-pound gorilla in the room. And if you look at the website, you can see that the resources are just about all Sam Storms or Remnant Radio. So if you like Sam Storms and or Remnant Radio, maybe you want to join this church network. But I, um, 
I guess I wouldn't expect too much of the Holy Spirit when it comes to these guys. If there's a dangerous predator lurking about, you're going to have to find that out for yourself. So in the three months or so since all this Mike Bickle stuff has come out, these guys have been very busy responding to the cessationist documentary and responding to cessationism in general and trying to refute it. But there's another guy who's really working against them. In fact, I think he's making more people turn into cessationists than anybody in recent history. Yep, it's this guy right here. Now, on December 18th, Sam Storms did do the right thing. He and Mike Sullivan wrote this open letter, and Sam Storms posted it on his blog. Let me read this first section. Dear friends, we write to you today with sorrowful hearts. As many of you know, we both served on the senior leadership team at Metro Christian Fellowship alongside Mike Bickle, Michael from 1987 to 2000, and Sam from 1993 to 2000. During those years, we were in what we felt was close fellowship with Mike and Diane, that's Mike Pickle's wife, meeting as couples multiple times every month. This camaraderie continued until such time as Mike stepped down as lead pastor at MCF to form IHOPKC as an independent ministry. We were unaware of Mike meeting with or traveling in the company of young women during this time. Mike was able to successfully hide from us this dimension of his life. He never came to us with a request for prayer or with some confession of weakness and an appeal to hold him accountable. Here's my loose translation of those last couple of sentences. If he had, we would have faithfully stepped in to help our friend in whatever way we could. We were made aware of the allegations of clergy sexual abuse at different times over the past several months. We have now both spoken extensively with one of the primary Jane Doe's and her husband and believe what she has said about the sexual nature of their interaction. In her own words, it involved everything short of sexual intercourse. There is no reason to doubt the accuracy of her testimony. Our hearts break for what she suffered and for the ongoing grief this horrific injustice has caused her and her family. Sam and Francis Chan attempted to visit Mike at his home on October 31st, where Chris Reed turned them away at the door. He said that Mike had been instructed not to meet or speak with anyone, which Mike later confirmed in a brief email to Sam. We were subsequently informed that Mike was following the counsel of, this is the professional crisis manager, Eric Voltz. As a side note, if I ever need a crisis manager, I will not be hiring this guy. As a side note to my side note, I am almost positive that I would never actually need or could afford a crisis manager. Okay, back to the letter, third paragraph. As a matter of conscience, we write now to publicly state that we believe Jane Doe. We deeply regret not being aware of her situation at the time it occurred. We have now been made aware of additional allegations directed at Mike for behavior subsequent to his relationship with Jane Doe. These are grievous and weighty. However, it is not our intent to address the legitimacy of those charges. That is the responsibility of whatever third party is secured to conduct a thorough investigation of what may or may not have happened in the context of IHOPKC for the past 23 years. I note that 23 years ago means that this can't possibly affect what these two pastors did before IHOP began, and they were on staff with Mike Bickle. It is our opinion that Mike's most recent statement, while potentially a step in the right direction, is woefully inadequate. What is most lacking in it is explicitly owning the sin he committed against Jane Doe or Jane Doe's, repenting and asking for forgiveness. Regrettably, Jane Doe is nowhere mentioned in the written statement he released. We appeal to Mike as long-standing friends and colleagues who have loved him and Diane to search his heart 
and plead with the Holy Spirit to disclose any other sins committed. We pray that by God's grace, he will find the spiritual courage to confess such sins, wholeheartedly repent, face the consequences, and humbly pursue the restoration and healing of anyone he has wounded. It is our love for Mike that constrains us to write this letter and call him to more open and vulnerable official examination for his confessed duplicity and moral failures as a Christian and a ministry leader. Our sincere and heartfelt appeal is that the ELT at IHOPKC and the Advocate Group will together pursue an acceptable independent third-party investigation. There is little hope that the truth will come to light, leading to a resolution of this matter until such time as everyone involved cooperates fully with the investigative body. Mature and compassionate spiritual leadership requires that we do not hurt those entrusted to our care. Lying when confronted with the truth, creating division in the body of Christ by intentionally preaching about betrayal and false accusation after being informed that allegations were forthcoming, lawyering up, making minimal concessions in lieu of true confession, and indiscriminately managing an image of oneself is the opposite of what a spiritually mature response should be to a crisis of this nature. Christian leaders steward a holy calling and are held to a higher standard by God for living above reproach. By this, a leader embraces the risk that any undealt with and or unconfessed sin patterns may be publicly exposed if they are disqualifying in nature and scope. Beyond this, leaders ought to welcome a lifestyle of transparency before family, friends, governing boards, and constituents. We believe Mike has had every opportunity to vulnerably share any temptations or struggles with sin with fellow leaders in order to find God's mercy and pathway to wholeness. Sadly, we believe he has not remained faithful to this commitment, but rather engaged in deceptive and manipulative actions to exploit the vulnerability of a godly young woman. As such, we are in firm agreement with Mike stepping down from Christian ministry. Good. This is all really good. I'm glad they're hitting really hard on many of these issues, as they should. But man, just imagine if people were this firm and this tough and this uncompromising with Mike Bickle 20, 30 years ago, none of this stuff would have happened. Okay, so here's the very last paragraph of this letter. The painful ripple effects of this sin have been felt far and wide. We grieve hearing the voices of hurt, angry, confused, and disillusioned current and former members of IHOPKC and its related ministries. We urge you all to find safe people in your life to pray for you and support you as you process your experience. We pray for the peace and grace of God to be with you all and upon you all, being with you in spirit, Sam Storms and Michael Sullivan. Okay, maybe I'm being a little bit too picky here, but I just have to say this, that second to last sentence, we urge you all to find safe people in your life to pray for you and support you as you process your experience. Well, for decades, these guys have been telling us telling everyone that IHOP is the safe place. And now they're saying, yeah, you better go find a safe place or find safe people because uh, we sent you to the wrong place. That's what I think they really need to admit. We are so sorry. We propped up this guy. We sent people there. Lives have been destroyed based on our advice. We kept ignoring all of the substantial negative evidence against Mike Bickle. We ignored it and we kept promoting this man and his movement. That's what I really think they should be saying. So there you go. Thank you for listening to that whole thing. I really wanted to read the entire letter because even though I've been really tough on these guys, I did want them to sort of have a, a say in the matter. Now, as a way to think through the various ways of looking at this, I thought it would be interesting to read some of the comments that are on Sam Storm's blog after this uh, letter was posted. This person commented twice. The first one is, I recall reading an article you wrote vigorously defending Mike Bickle. Charismatic Church really needs help. 
I agree with that last sentence for sure, and I know that Sam Storms thinks that he's helping the charismatic church, but he's been vigorously defending Mike Bickle, as this person wrote, and these are the articles that he wrote in 2019, and I did an excerpt of one of the articles in this video. Here, I'll just play it for you again. In conclusion, my mind goes back a few weeks to that Friday morning as Anne and I sat in the prayer room in Kansas City. I looked around and said to myself, hmm, what's going on here? Well, I see the very young, the very old, and a lot of middle-aged folk praying, worshiping the Lord, and studying their Bibles. My, my, I said to myself, that's certainly subversive and spiritually unhealthy. We can't have that going on. Yes, I'm being sarcastic. In a time when so many are pursuing every manner of sexual immorality, sexual immorality, lobbying for the rights to kill unborn babies, and fomenting racial hatred, couldn't we use a few more passionate people who love Jesus, believe and obey what's in their Bibles, and delight in extended seasons of praise? I think so. If you don't, go ahead and tear apart IHOP Kansas City and Mike Bickle. Launch your angry tirades. Pick them apart for the way they devote themselves to the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel. In the meantime, as someone once said, I prefer the way they do it, even if it isn't perfect, to the way you don't do it. Here's the other comment. Thank you for allowing comments here. This whole situation is disappointing. I don't mean to be critical, as I know sin can slip under the radar, but I can't help but question if we are too favorable in our discernment or too naive. People of whom many in the evangelical world would discern as aberrant or seriously problematic in their ministry get the favorable right hand of fellowship, pat on the back, and even defended, only to later see the holes grow and sink the ship. When I see people in fellowship with or hear comments lacking in critique of Benny Hinn, Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson, Todd White, or Catholic priests, it confuses me in my faith. I wonder, how do these top Christian leaders, people who I respect, not see what I see? Ultimately, I reserve judgment, but now that the ship is sinking, I shake my head and feel even more confused. Biblical unity is not the lowest common denominator unity. It is unity around the truth. The higher the like-mindedness, the greater the unity. Perhaps we have lost this concept as we seek to unify with some of the aforementioned names. Thank you for your ministry. I think those are some really great thoughts, and I totally get where he's coming from. In case you're not yet convinced that IHOP is a cult and Mike Bickle is a cult leader, let's listen to this one. Sam, you betrayed Mike and you are lying. You know that Mike is most godly man and influential in global church. This stack is very demonic. You know it because you and all who accuse Mike had the same inappropriate behavior. So you need to be announced in all earth and repent and all others has to do the same. I don't believe that Mike has sex with her. Of he did, God forgives Mike. Who are you to throw stones to Mike? Put the camera away. Are you God? Are you judge? You must repent and be honest. I'll tell you right now, mister, that freaking shows up on YouTube, I will find you. Don't lie. Please stop accusing. God is fighting for Mike. I suggest you get in your vehicle, sit on. Don't touch me. Get off. Don't Shut touch it off. me. Don't Shut touch it me. off now. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Because there are people like this out there, I expect to see a return of Mike Bickle. This person says, Hi Sam, in your recent Remnant Radio series, you were asked why Mike Bickle uniquely has so many prophetic experiences. You replied that Mike just may be a special anointed man of God that God wants to use. In light of what you now know, do you have any reflections on your previous words? That's a really good question. And here's a really good question. Do you still believe that Mr. Bickle has taken several trips to heaven and have chats with Michael the Archangel and Jesus himself? Here's a really good comment from a guy named Steve. And no, it's not me. 
This whole thing has been built on a faulty prophetic foundation by men whose lives were deeply compromised by sin. The prophetic promise oft proclaimed that Mike's brother Pat would be healed was a lie. This is true. And if Mike's prophecy about Diane dying and him marrying Jane Doe is a lie, then we can likely dismiss any thoughts of Mike claiming to have ridden on chariots into the heavens and having encounters with God and Michael the Archangel. From Augustine to Bob Jones, from Paul Kane to Mike Bickle, we've witnessed prophecy being used for ungodly purposes. There was a moment a few weeks ago when it appeared IHOP could be saved if Mike stepped down, but it now appears IHOP must be leveled to the ground, and if the Lord wants a group of day and night intercessors, he will raise one up in his own good time and for his pleasure. That said, I suspect the Lord is more than able to prepare the world for his son's triumphant return without any help from us, since all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags before his throne. I doubt that he is moved by our resolve through night and day prayer. The IHOP house was all built upon the sand, and now the winds of sin are blowing, and the streams of cover-ups are rising, and it is all falling with a great crash. Seriously, I, I wish I would have written this, but I didn't write this. The Lord is cleaning house, and some of those houses are being leveled. Here's a quick little comment. First Paul Kane, then Bob Jones, and now Bickle. Three of the Kansas City prophets all fall into sexual sin. In case you didn't know it, the prophet, Paul Kane was known to be struggling with homosexuality and alcoholism. And Bob Jones told women that they should come into his office, take off all their clothes before he prophesied for them, because that's what God told them to do. Now, as for the idea that Mike Bickle somehow fell into sexual sin, I would say no, he jumped into it willfully and happily for decades. Now, this guy has a comment that I think really does a good job of summarizing some of what I've been trying to say in this video. His name also happens to be Stephen. It seems to me that there should be an intense investigation of Mike Bickle, particularly his past. What happened in St. Louis? What was his association with a man named Augustine in St. Louis? Most of these people at IHOP only know Mike Bickle from the past 20 years. But go back to the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Mike Bickle has always been associated with controversy and strange teachings. Yes, this is absolutely true. And frankly, nobody cared. Or at least not enough people cared. People like Sam Storms, the guys at Remnant Radio, people like Francis Chan and John Piper, they all said, this guy's great. We love this guy. We love his heart. Yeah, we differ a little bit, but basically they said he's okay and they ignored all of the warnings. Remember, Francis Chan actually tells us how he ignored the warnings. There's people that told me not to hang out with him. Like, you know, you know words like creepy come up. And, and, and yet... I get to know this guy, and I'm going, man, I love his heart. And I this is Francis Chan expressing the principle that when celebrity charismatic speakers meet each other for the first time and spend an hour or two talking backstage, well, they know their heart. They know for sure that they can endorse somebody because they spent that brief amount of time with them. And all of you regular Christians sitting at home, going on the internet, reading their books, listening to discernment bloggers, you better be quiet. You better just shut up and listen to the experts and trust whatever they say because they know. I just want to speak to, this isn't to IHOP, this is for other people who might be watching this because I know some of you have ditched Mike and some of you ditched him because of something you think you might have heard someone say that may or may not be true. How dare you? And so you're going to ditch all of that. 50 years of prayer, teaching, you know, a, a lifestyle. And I thank God for a simple lifestyle. 
He could have made so much money and be living this lavish life, but he lived this way for all of those years. You're going to ditch all of that and all the ridiculous stories because you heard something from a friend. I would say you are so foolish. And also you better be careful because the spirit of God dwells inside of him. Okay, I want to show you one more comment. This is on Sam Storm's blog post about the Convergence Church Network being started. This isn't about the Mike Pickle thing, but look at the very bottom uh, comment from January 5th. While perusing the CCN website, I note that under resources and recommended books, that the first book recommended is by Mike Bickle. Given the current scandal he has brought on the church, you might want to rethink recommending this book, even if the contents are good. So that book isn't there anymore, but yeah, they were really into Mike Bickle until very, very recently. Okay, now to end this video, I want to go through just very quickly an outline of some of the major Pentecostal leaders from a little over 100 years ago and how what's happening with Mike Bickle and IHOP is something that's happened over and over again. This guy, Benjamin Hardin Irwin, he was born in 1854. We're not sure when he died. He started something called the Fire Baptized Holiness Church. This idea that you have to be baptized with fire was something he was talking about way back in the 1800s. He got married, and then he got married again, but he got married without getting divorced from the first wife. And then he left the second wife and the children so he could start shacking up with a younger woman. He did all of that while he wasn't busy seeing prostitutes the evening he preached about holiness and the evils of wearing neckties. Yeah, he really said that. John Alexander Dowie is one of the most successful religious frauds of all time. It would take hours. In fact, uh, Daniel Long and I are working on a book, and he's one of the main characters in this book because there's just so much material on what a fraud he was. I'm not even going to go there. Let's go to the next guy. Frank Sanford is a guy you'll be hearing more about in the uh, years ahead, I believe, because more people are realizing what an important role he played in establishing the Pentecostal movement and what a horrible cult leader he was at the same time. He, like just about everybody else in this list, thought that he was the guy that God had sent to build the end times church. The only correct church in the entire world in all of history was his church. And oh, by the way, they had 24-7 prayer. Considered by former members and many of his neighbors to be an autocrat who insisted on unquestioning loyalty, Sanford regularly starved his followers, that included children, which resulted in deadly outbreaks of smallpox, diphtheria, and other infectious diseases. The death of 14-year-old Leander Bartlett led to his conviction for manslaughter and cruelty to children in 1904, though a 1905 ruling by the Maine Supreme Court reversed the convictions. And the reason why those convictions were reversed is because he had his cult followers lie for him in the court of law. This horrifying cult leader was actually the role model for the next guy, Charles Fox Parham, who many people consider the father of Pentecostalism. Six months before the supposed speaking in tongues happened with Charles Parham in Topeka, Kansas, it was already happening in Maine at the Shiloh cult of Frank Sanford. Now here's the guy that emulated him, Charles Fox Parham. Like I said, Parham modeled his whole Bible school, quote-unquote, on what he saw at Shiloh in Maine. He was modeling everything he did largely on what he learned from John Alexander Dowie and from Frank Sanford. He also got arrested for sodomy with a young man. He later claimed that he was being uh, harassed by people, but all the evidence points to the fact that it was a legitimate arrest. Yeah, really, that actually happened. He was also a racist and a number of other things. Let's go on to one more, and that would be John G. Lake. John G. Lake was a horrendous con artist. He lied his way through his entire life. 
Let me just show you one really amazing example of how bad the lies are surrounding this guy. This is a book that has been published over and over again by Harrison House, and it's basically John G. Lake telling all these stories about himself, most of which can be proven as false. On the back, I want you to see one of the endorsements, and it's from Cecil Rhodes. His message has swept Africa. He has done more toward South Africa's future peace than any man. Cecil Rhodes, the empire builder. That's what Cecil Rhodes said about the great work that John G. Lake supposedly did in South Africa. Here's the Wikipedia page for Cecil Rhodes. You can see that he was born in 1853 and he died in 1902. So he can't really say much after 1902, correct? So John G. Lake really did go to South Africa and he really did start a church. And here's the Wikipedia page for that church. And you can see that in May of 1908, five American missionaries, including John G. Lake, along with their wives, arrived in South Africa from Indianapolis. So he didn't get there until Cecil Rhodes had already been dead for six years. These are just lies. They, these are like uh, folk tales. You know who really likes John G. Lake? Most of the people in the New Apostolic Reformation, including this guy. You know, and I like John G. Lake. You know, some of it seemed a little exaggerated, yeah. but I, I like the feel of a guy going hard for God and seeing Jesus magnified with miracles and stuff. So he says he likes John G. Lake, and he admits that some of it seems exaggerated. Yeah, the whole thing is exaggerated. That's all John G. Lake did was exaggerate. By the way, I recorded this podcast three years ago with Professor Barry Morton, who is one of the primary uh, historians in the world familiar with John G. Lake and with John Alexander Dowie. It's a really good discussion. I'm, I'm going to put a link to that in the description of this video, and I suggest you listen to it. And I also have a website, themessedupchurch.com, and I have a series of articles. I call them cornucopias, which is just a compilation article. So it's not just me. It's a whole bunch of different sources all talking about the same thing. So you may want to check this out if you're not familiar with this topic or you haven't heard some of these things before. There's a lot of good resources there. Lastly, I really want you to go to this channel and I want you to subscribe. Even if you don't watch the videos, I want you to subscribe. I want this channel, which is a bunch of former IHOP people who are really telling the truth about things, I want them to get a lot more visibility and their channel is already growing by leaps and bounds and let's just help that happen even more. Thank you so much for watching this entire video. I really hope you found this useful. And if I got you mad, I want you to at least consider some of the things that I said here. I want you to think about these things very deeply because these are really important issues. Thanks and God bless. Creepy. Manipulation, coercion, threats, intimidation. Hey!